Good evening. This is Justin Ford for From the Frontline. Tonight we are dealing with Africa's greatest and most urgent needs, our Bibles and Bible teaching. In the studio with me is Dr. Peter Hammond, the founder of Frontline Fellowship, who has been involved in serving persecuted Christians for over 40 years in 38 countries. Dr. Hammond, what are the missionary researchers predicting concerning Africa? Well, it's a bit of a nightmare for the globalist New World Disorder crowd because Operation World is informing us that there are now over 680 million people in Africa who identify as Christians. And the number of Christians in Africa is set to double by the year 2050, when if present trends continue, our continent is expected to be home to over 1.2 billion Christians. So to put this into perspective, in 1900, which is not that long ago, 120 years ago, uh, 9.1% of Africa was Christian. That equaled 7.5 million. But by 2010, when we had the Cape Town uh, 2010 World Missions Conference, the largest missions conference in the world, um, it, Christians had grown from 9.1% of Africa to 48.8% of Africa's population, almost half, which is five and a, 504 million. So from 7.5 million in 1900 to 504 million by 2010, and now it's over 680 million people who claim to be Christians in Africa by 2024. And this will double in the next 25 years. So this has got to be a nightmare for the globalists because their transhumanism and transgender um, cults is not going to work here. Most Africans are just innately con uh, conservative, and especially the Christians are far more conservative than their denominational equivalents in Europe and North America. And Africa's been uh, a stumbling block to a lot of the globalist agendas. They couldn't get even 2% of Africa to take the COVID shot during the masquerade madness and uh, the salvation by vaccination COVID cult. So they are not going to succeed with their pandemic, pandemic, scamdemic agendas. They're not going to succeed when it comes to trying to push people to an abortion culture. Only one country in all of Africa has accepted the transgender kind of agenda, and that's South Africa, which is more like a globalist new world order exception to Africa. There's only two countries in Africa that allow abortion, one's Tunisia and the other South Africa. So 58 out of 50 countries in Africa are dead set against the abortion agenda and 49 out of the 50 are dead set against the, hom the homosexual LGBTQ agenda. So, And as, as far as tra transhumanism goes, how are they going to manage when you don't have electricity all the time? So <laughs> Africa is going to frustrate all the globalist um, plans of trying to have a controlled culture and all the rest. And I think uh, the way how Christianity is doubling in Africa, I think that's got to be an absolute nightmare to the globalists because they're not going to succeed with their agenda here. And um, but such phenomenal church growth must present some challenges. Yes, well, there's all kinds of challenges. The one thing is the church is growing too fast for us to even produce enough Bibles for them or enough discipleship or produce enough leaders. So over 100 million churchgoers in Africa, possibly a lot more, do not even have a copy of the Bible, not even the New Testament. So to think of hundreds of millions of churchgoers who don't even have access to a Bible, that's pretty bad. And most of the past in Africa have absolutely no formal training, no Bible college training, let alone theological or seminary training. Now, that's um, a real challenge as well, especially as most pastors have no access to a library. And even study Bibles are rare. And most Bibles... Most pastors um, don't have a study Bible. Many pastors don't even have a full Bible. So Africa's greatest and most urgent needs are definitely Bibles and Bible teaching, which, of course, is the primary focus of our mission.
Um, so evidently, Africa's greatest and most urgent needs are Bibles and Bible teachings, as you said. But what can be done to meet these needs? Well, there's a lot of things that have to happen almost immediately. First of all, we need a massive infusion of Bibles to come to the continent. And we need many to be printed here. Now, that's more complicated than you would think because we do have a lot of taxes. So, for example, when I wanted to print 10,000 Bibles for Sudan, you would think I'd get it printed in Nairobi. I mean, Nairobi's got an advanced infrastructure and it's close to Sudan. And instead, I was getting my Bibles printed in Singapore or Taipei or in South Korea. And the reason is because the Asians could print the Bibles at one-fifth the cost that the Kenyans could. So because of taxes in Kenya, which is absolutely off the wall, when I was trying to do this back in 1990s, it was 27% sales tax and then a whole lot of other things, import taxes and so on. And basically it worked out that it was cheaper for me to print Bibles in Asia, especially if you think of Singapore, including the cost of transportation, shipping of the Bibles across from Singapore to Mombasa and transporting it to the border of, of Sudan. I could still print five Bibles in Asia for every one I could print in Africa. So, you know, you would have thought a mission based in Cape Town operating out of Kenya to Sudan, we'd have got our Bibles printed in Cape Town or in Kenya. But no, it's much cheaper for us to print the Bibles in Asia. So that shows Africa's got too many labor laws and too many trade unions complicating and ex expenses and then too many taxes. And so that's frustrating our efforts. So if we want to get Bibles in Africa, we're getting them printed in Asia or in Belarus, believe it or not. Belarus even undercuts Asia when it comes to the cost of Bibles being printed. So surprisingly... Um, Africa's undermining its own um, provision of enough literature because printing is too expensive in this continent at this stage. And so as a literature mission, we're getting most of our Bibles from out, out of the country, either if we're getting it printed or if it's getting donated. That provides, that's a real problem. Now, if you're wanting to buy Bibles from the Bible Society in indigenous African languages, it's basically costing um, almost 10 times more than if we were to print them ourselves in bulk. I'm not too sure what the reason is for that, except that maybe there's too much taxes. When we started this mission, the Bible study in South Africa was tax immune. They were not just tax exempt. Uh, you couldn't charge taxes on purchasing Bibles. So when we bought, if, if somebody gave me a hundred rand designate for Bibles for Angola, I could spend a full hundred rand on Bibles for Angola. And that could buy me a lot of Bibles because the average Bible cost two rand for a hard copy Bible back in 1980s. But the reason for that was uh, South Africa had um, a pro-Bible uh, policy where they didn't tax Bibles for starters. And the South African army at that time uh, tithed to the Bible Society. All the soldiers had to pay a tithe. Their voluntary tithe was automatically deducted and it went to the Bible Society. So we actually had a lot of advantages when we started. I could buy Bibles by the thousands um, and distribute them across the border to Mozambique and Gola, which now costs a lot more. If I want a Bible in an indigenous African language like Shona, um, Ovambo, um, Chokwe, Lavali, Lachazi, Shangon, it's going to cost me roughly 200 rand per Bible. That's for a hardcover Bible in indigenous African language. That's very high considering the fact that I could print Bibles in Singapore for an average of two and a half dollars. Uh, per Bible. Now, that's including the cost of transportation to get to Africa. And when we get Bibles printed in Belarus, we're getting Bibles printed at the cost of basically $1.60 US dollars, $1.60 US 
um, to get a Bible printed in Belarus. And of course, that's with orders of like 10,000 or so. So I'm not too sure why the Bible study is having the Bible so expensive because that, that's very harsh uh, for ministries like us who are not doing it commercially. We're doing this for Bible distribution. The old Bible study used to want to cater for people doing ministry, and we also got very substantial discounts for being a mission non-profit and we're not reselling. And uh, yet today, there's no real discounts of any significance. I mean, you might get a 2.5% discount, but that's about the best you can on a massive bulk order. Mm. So we've got challenges just to get enough Bibles alone. And uh, we can get Bibles in English donated to us. We can get Bibles in French and Portuguese donated to us from overseas. But Bibles in local African languages, those translations are owned by the Bible Society. makes it very hard for us. We can't easily get a Bible printed overseas in an African language because the translation is owned by the Bible Society. Mm. And they make it difficult for us to get Bibles in those languages um, if there's politics involved. So, for example... If you just take Zimbabwe with a communist government like ZANU-PF, when I went to the Bible Society in Harare, mm -hmm. there the Bible Society manager comes out and he's wearing a ZANU-PF lapel pin, which is very suspicious. And I said, you know, we need Bibles in Ndebele. Sorry, we're out of stock. Uh, yes, I've been below and they said I've got no Bibles in Ndebele for years. Um, can I make an order? When are you going to do another print run? No, we've got none planned. There's no need. Said, but there's a tremendous need. Everyone in the land are requesting Bibles in, in the belly. And uh, I had to get the Bibles printed uh, or ordered in Harare, the headquarters of the Bible Society in Zimbabwe, and that's the capital of Zimbabwe. Even when I went down to Cape Town and asked the Bible Society here for Bibles in, in the belly, sorry, we don't have any stock. And if we did, we'd have to ship them all to Harare. And if we want some of our shelves here, we'd have to order it back to be shipped back here which seems awfully complicated considering the Bibles are printed in Cape Town in the first place. So I said, okay, I'd like to make an order for 5,000. Is that enough for you to start? No, we can't print Bibles in Indabeli unless it's ordered by the Bible Society of Zimbabwe. And the director there is a ZANU-PF member, evidently, and he said there's no need. So we were in a real bind. Now, we had the same problem in Sudan. If I wanted to get Bibles in the local languages, Bemba, Denka, Nuera, I had to go to the Bible Society of Sudan. The Bible Society of Sudan was in Khartoum, the capital city, in a civil war, and they said there's no need for those languages. Well, they are in the Islamic-controlled north, and they would not provide us with the Bibles and languages we needed. The Bible Society in Kenya wouldn't print Bibles in the languages of Sudan, such as um, Dinka and Nuer or Bemba or Bari, because they said that's owned by the Sudan Bible Society, and the Bible Society in Sudan affected by the civil war wouldn't print in the languages of the rebels. So we had to illegally, I mean, literally illegally print. And so what we do is, fortunately, Singapore doesn't care, but we got them to light their plates straight from the Bible study of, um, of Sudan, and it literally had Bible study of Sudan details on top of Khartoum. That's on the title page. And they just uh, light their plates um, straight from the uh, Bibles there. Now, Officially, we were actually breaking copyright, but I was convinced that the Lord wouldn't object because I don't see how you can put a copyright in the Bible. We've got the highest authority of all. The Lord Jesus Christ gave the Great Commission, make disciples of all nations, teach obedience to all things the Lord has commanded. How dare any government or agency limit the spirit of God's word? And considering the word of God is inspired in errant and from the Holy Spirit, it's 
very disturbing that any institution can put a copyright. Now, I understand a copyright to preserve quality, but uh, in this case, it wasn't to preserve quality. It was to prevent others duplicating. So we actually in the past had to break or bend the law to make some copies, or in this case, 10,000 copies of some of them, um, to get in during the Civil War to make sure that people could get Bibles. Now, this just shows you the kind of complications you can have when there's politics involved and sometimes tribal politics and sometimes a civil war interfering. So just providing Bibles for people in Africa is more complicated than might sound to the average person. And the logistics gets more complicated when you've got to cross flooded rivers and there's taxes at some border post. When we started doing our work in Southwest Africa, it was very easy to transport Bibles across Southwest Africa. And there's a big Bible study in Vincent. But after 1990, when uh, they handed over to the UN, the UN handed over to SWAPO, things changed. And they started to charge import tax to bring Bibles, even any books, across the border. They'd have a book tax. And so we said, but these are just in transit through Namibia to get to Angola. And so the Bibles in Angola that we want to read, they would be charging a massive tax for us to take it in transit across their territory. And this is not for sale. This is not commercial. It's for donation. So we had to start smuggling Bibles across Namibia. And you get all kinds of nonsense like this complicating the fulfillment of the Great Commission in Africa. So the church is growing phenomenally, but it's being starved of literature for many reasons. Hmm. Uh, just a technical question related to what you're saying about the Bible copyrights. Do, would the Bible Society of South Africa only own copyright to um, languages, indigenous languages of South Africa? Yes, they do. In fact, when we've ordered a lot of our literature gospel booklets from, for example, World Missionary Press, they've said that they need to get permission from the Bible Society to quote from, and they're just taking... World Missionary Press Gospel booklets are all scripture, 50 pages, small little booklets, but they need the Bible Society's permission to use any of the actual translations of indigenous African languages here. And that's not printing a Bible, that's just printing tracts, and that's an American agency, and they sometimes have said we've got delays getting permission to get things printed in, for example, Zulu or Kosa, and uh, sometimes we are waiting for our deliveries only on some permission from the Bible Society. The people are really willing and able to print it in the states and and we're just holding it up, or I should say, the local agency in South Africa is holding it up. So that is a complication. Hmm. Are there many Bible societies in Africa? I think there's one in every country in Africa. Um, Frontline Fellowship was founded in 1981 for the express purpose of providing Bible teaching and organizing Bible distribution in Africa. Dr. Hammond, did you have any understanding of the critical need for Bibles and Bible teaching over 40 years ago? Only a fraction of it. Now, from the beginning, our mission was inspired by Operation World. I've been reading Operation World, the intercessory handbook for missions, um, already from my time in hospital Christian fellowship. So in HCF, we'd have days of prayer, we'd have nights of prayer. We began every morning with an hour of prayer. We had prayer for half an hour after lunch. And Operation World was like a handbook. We would be praying for different countries. And Operation World's got details about the history, the geography, the growth of the church, the needs, the answers to prayer, the, the problems in every country in the world. And so we were working our way through Operation World. So I was already aware of some of the needs, but of course, it was a fraction of what it's developed to. The church growth in Africa has been phenomenal just in the last 40 years anyway. And we couldn't have easily anticipated how strategic this work would be when we started it. And um, over 20 years ago, you um, launched Literature for Africa, 
And then did you realize that at that time how important and urgent the provision of Bibles for Africa would become? No, I hadn't fully realized. In fact, the inspiration for literature for Africa came more for me reading the biography of uh, William Carey. William Carey saw ships in Calcutta and Bombay offloading vast amounts of armories, weapons, horses, cavalry, uh, guns and ammunition, uh, artillery shells. And he wrote back to his friends in England saying, you know, I think it would be so much nicer if the ships were offloading Bibles and books to evangelize and disciple India. That would be far more effective than sending in military ammunition to subjugate the country. And uh, he persuaded his friends to start shipping Bibles and books out to India. And I thought, you know, I've got a lot of friends in America who are authors and in Britain and Europe. So I started to get um, my friends there, wrote to them and said, when you've got offcuts or damaged covers or miss, um, maybe it's uh, misbound, don't throw them away. Please send them to us in Africa. We need all the Bibles and books we can get. And we won't mind if there's some shop soiled or slightly defective. And uh, so I had a whole lot of these chaps sending us. In those days, it was mail sacks. So you'd get two boxes you could fit in a mail sack, and that was sent on a very cheap book rate, surface mail, which meant came by ship. And uh, it didn't cost that much. And so I started to get boxes of books, not just slightly uh, defectives or shop sold, but um, brand new even from especially Dr. James Kendi. He started to send us, he started to almost seem to tithe. He'd send us a thousand copies of When Does Life Begin and Truths That Transform and um, all kinds of great uh, um, books, discipleship books and a new beginning again and so on. And so James Kendi was the most generous to us at first. And then later we had Dr. David Noble of Summit Ministries. He had sent us Understand the Times and the Battle for Truth and Mind Siege and other great books that became textbooks for our um, biblical worldview summits and seminars all over Africa. And uh, by starting off by getting donations from authors, that was the beginning. And then World Missionary Press started to ship us actual containers. Things started to move from mail sacks to containers. That's why downstairs, our, first, our small store or our field store, that I thought was the only store we'd need. I had no idea we'd have to convert the double garage and build extra roofing over that to be able to um, expand our literature stores. But when we start going from mail sacks to container shipments, and when we say a container, um, we're talking about 20 foot up to 40 foot sometimes with 17, 18 tons per container. Um, sometimes up to 35 tons in a 40-foot container, and sometimes arriving on pallets. So, no, when we started Literature of Africa, my understanding was pretty small, and I had no idea how big it would become. And we never envisaged that we'd be dealing with 100 tons of Bibles and books a year to receive, process, sort through, designate, categorize, and then trip out. And so we are providing now an average of 100 tons of Bibles and books in up to 100 languages, around Africa on a given year, and that's all absolutely free, donated, including Sunday school materials, Bible study materials, tracts, booklets, Bibles, New Testaments, um, Gospels, even special packages like uh, the Epistle of Romans and the Gospel of John and combined in a single booklet, which we've got in French, Portuguese, and English, absolutely tremendous for daughter door evangelism and so on. So Literature of Africa has grown way past anything I could have ever imagined. I had no idea that we'd be not only receiving containers of Bibles and books, but having some ministries coming, parking outside with a 18-wheeler Pentechnican truck, uh, wanting us to unload 28 pallets of Bibles and books, um, obviously waterproofed ahead of time because it's on the back of a flatbed truck, 
we've got to hire a forklift. And so the work has definitely got a lot more complicated, but the need is so great. I mean, while it looks like we're just reading a lot of Bibles and books, and we are, um, I've personally overseen the distribution of uh, 350,000 Bibles and books just into Sudan alone, just myself, not counting all the other missionaries in our mission. And, uh, you know, you think that's a lot, but then you realize it's actually a drop in the ocean when you're talking about this massive need of hundreds of millions of Christians in Africa. And, by the way, the average Bible doesn't last that long. If you think of people living on the move in a rural area and the sand, the mud, the rain, insects, the average Bible that's being well used has about life expect- a life expectancy of about two years. In about two years, the Bible can be in pieces, especially if it's a paperback Bible. Now, some Bibles are better made and will last longer. The Bibles that we get printed are specifically uh, for our work in Sudan, we make sure they're hardcover or softcover, but not paperback, and they're well-bound, stitch-bound, not glue-bound. Glue-bound can come loose. You can imagine the heat in Central Africa, uh, close to the equator, um, these glue-bound books, what they call perfect binding, which is anything but, uh, these, the whole binding can come loose very quickly. So I always insist on stitch binding for a Bible because not like a normal book that you're only going to read once. You need to go over and over. So we want these Bibles to last long. The Bibles we've commissioned have normally had two ribbons. So you've got an Old Testament and New Testament ribbon to put in so that you can help find your places and keep your place in a Bible study and sermons and so on. And it's got maps at the back and sometimes some key concordance of, of how to find key passages relating to different subjects. I try to make sure that our Bibles are going to last. But still, even a well-made Bible, for it to last more than five to ten years mm. in countries where there's war and uh, lots of movements and so on is asking a lot. So just the fact that somebody got a Bible ten years ago doesn't mean he's got it now. And uh, I mean, even my original Bible that I've got, which was a good hardbound Bible, it fell a piece to pieces within about five years just from overuse in my time in the army. And I suppose some of it was uh, being put in a backpack and lugged around. I had to get mine rebound. I've still got that one, but that was a special rebinding specialist job to keep that original Bible together. And uh, yes, so to keep people provided with Bibles, when I started Literature of Africa, I had no idea how important it would be, nor the scope of it or how strategic it would be in the evangelizing and discipling of Africa. Hmm. Um, as you said, the needs are great. So what is your strategy for providing sufficient Bibles for Africa? Well, we're trying to provide a quartermaster store for missions throughout Africa. So Literature of Africa is well known, not just in Cape Town, but far afield. We've had trucks, big trucks coming from as far as Zambia to load up with Bibles, books, Sunday school materials to ship back. And we were able to load up the whole truck. And, you know, we're talking about uh, 28 tons of Bibles and books there. We've had open doors coming here, loading up with huge amounts. There's groups like Bibles for Everyone and uh, different ministries in Africa, Operation Mobilization, YWAM and others, who come here and they get supplies of Bibles. The police chaplains, the prison chaplains, the army chaplains that come here, teachers, Sunday school teachers, people from different denominations, and we supply them. Totally free, lots of Bibles and books. I've got a article on this on the Frontline website on Quartermaster Store for Missions Throughout Africa. That's part of our strategy, just to be here that people can come and collect. Uh, But then we've got to do more than that. We've got to ship them to places that can distribute better. And one of the important distribution centers is Kwasi Sabantu Mission in KwaZulu-Natal. Now, they have youth conferences with up to 7,000 young people at a single youth conference. And uh, I've been speaking at them for the last several times. And 
this coming year, they're celebrating a hundred uh, um, youth conferences. That means for 50 years, twice a year for 50 years, they've been running youth conferences across the Winter Mission. Started with a few dozen and then went to the hundreds, then the thousands, and now it's consistently in the multiple thousands. And so we're distributing booklets and literature there, and Bibles can be won by uh, participants and uh, answering questions and so on. So that's one distribution way. They get ministers coming there by the thousands, so there can be 2,500 ministers at a ministers' conference. Last year, I, I spoke at that ministers' conference uh, at Quest of Intermission, and we were able to provide quite a lot of Bibles and books. I was donating particularly the Old Testament uh, survey books to pastors, that being a good Bible study resource. Also done the New Testament survey. So a strategic mission that's so busy like Quest of Intermission with many thousands of visitors a year is one distribution strategy. Another distribution strategy is through uh, Back to the Bible Mission. So Back to the Bible Mission is based in Mpumalanga, run by Professor Shai Mulder, and they've got students from about 20 countries in Africa there at almost any time. Students and staff, there might be 60 languages being spoken on the campus at any one time. And uh, they are training pastors, evangelists, missionaries with a three-year program going through every book in the Bible, and then they send them back to their countries as far fielders, Ghana and Sudan, Madagascar, Ethiopia, absolutely wonderful work. Of course, Congo and Kenya, Tanzania, Malawi. And so there you've got another strategic place for these students able to go back with digital libraries, their own libraries, and they become members of our Christian Action Network where we are able to then organize meetings, seminars there, send more literature to them, and some of them become distribution agents for Bibles and books in their areas. And that's important. Some of the people we've put in touch with World Missionary Press or Eagle's Nest Ministries to ship more books and Bibles to them so that they can distribute more. So through our Christian Action Network throughout Africa, we've identified people who are five solas, uh, reformed Christians holding to the essentials of Christ alone as the head of the church, Salvation is by the grace of God alone, received by faith alone. Salv uh, scripture alone is the ultimate authority, and everything must be done to the glory of God alone. The five solas, sola scriptura, sola fide, sola gracia, solas Christus, solidio gloria. And so Christian Action Network unites people from all over Africa with these visions and then seeks to provide them electronically and where possible um, hard copies to distribute. So that's part of the strategy to have distributors and evangelists and disciple makers in each country and uh, to support those missions that we know and trust. Now, we've got good contacts in Zambia and there's Josto Mwale uh, Theological Seminary and University in Lusaka. That's another great distribution point. Uh, there's um, uh, Mo Morgan Stir in Zimbabwe and uh, Nkoma Mission Station in Malawi. And there's a whole series of solar scriptura Bible colleges throughout Malawi, Mozambique, um, up to Tanzania, and uh, Back to the Bible Mission now has satellite colleges in Madagascar and Ethiopia. So through these networks, we're able to get more and more distributors all over, um, and it's, it's part of networking, distributing, and trying to multiply, and through our Great Commission courses, training people who will be always having the mindset of literature distribution how to get literature into the hands of people who most appreciate, most need, will best use and apply and multiply the material and keep it in circulation. The other way is, of course, um, getting 
getting our people uh, to set up libraries wherever they go so that more people can have access to these books and study materials. And we've set up a few libraries in different key places around Africa as far as Sudan. And uh, these study centers become a place where more distributors and, and disciple makers can come from. Um, as most of the pastors in Africa have no formal Bible college training, what can be done to disciple the disciple makers? Well, of course, it would be nice to have enough Bible colleges. We don't. There are Bible colleges that are well worth supporting, like Africa for Jesus, based in Kimberley. Uh, there's Makanyo Theological Seminary, based in Pretoria, and they've got a network of other colleges all over the country. I think maybe 60 different um, other outstations uh, or local substations that are doing Bible college training, including uh, night school, uh, by extension, and so on. There's Back to Bible Mission based in Pumalunga. There's Cedar College of Education, a teacher training college, Cedar College International based at Kwasabantu Mission in KwaZulu. Um, these are some highly recommend groups that we can support. In, in uh, Zambia, I know of Justo Mwale, which is the one for the Presbyterian Church of the Reformed Church of Zambia. And uh, we support them with enthusiasm and provide them with thousands of books and Bibles and study Bibles. That's all very important, but you've also got to recognize that most of the people won't go to a formal Bible college. We've helped set up some small Bible colleges like um, Covenant College in Petiuka, which is in the eastern part of Zambia. Frontline Fellowship set up that Bible college in the year 2000, and that's trained hundreds of pastors since on a three-year program. And when we started, there was only one Baptist pastor in the whole of eastern Zambia with hundreds of churches, only one pastor had any Bible college training. Now, uh, they've got hundreds of pastors being trained in that uh, eastern province, which is important. Again, to just see some of the problem, statistically, most of those who go from a rural area to an urban area for study don't return to the rural area. So if the people live in a rural part of eastern Zambia, say, and they go to Lusaka for study, they'll tend to settle in Lusaka. Maybe they get married there and so on. And those who go from a third world country to first world country for study, like maybe people going from Zambia or Zimbabwe to study in South Africa, don't return to their country. So theological studies in many ways is more bleeding the church than, than empowering it. Here's a statistic. There are more Bible college trained, theologically trained Mexican pastors living in um, Arizona than are in the whole of northern province of Mexico. And you could say this, there might be more theologically trained, ordained Zambian, Zimbabwean, Malawian pastors living in South Africa than actually in Zambia, Malawi, or Mozambique. And so the situation is quite disastrous. So I would say the solution to this is we've got to take the training to the people. And that's why the idea of starting a Bible college in Eastern Zambia was, was logical. Instead of them coming here, we go to them and give them the libraries, textbooks, and get them to operate there. I think what... Uh, Professor Mulder's doing in Back to the Bible Mission and in Pumalunga is also very useful. It's a rural-based Bible college mission, Back to the Bible Mission, set in the Valley of Mercy. It's a very rural area. There's monkeys running around. You wake up in the morning to the monkeys scampering on the roof. You've got to step over some of the snakes and so on the way to the classroom. Uh, it's very rural. You can hear the hippos and see some crocodiles in the river nearby. And there's not much temptation for the average person to stay there. They normally go back home which is what we want them to do. We want them to take what they've learned and bless and benefit their society. Um, so I think Back to the Bible Mission's got another good idea. The theological training that they provide on this side of the border 
is in a rural setting to not try and tempt the people to move over here. Um, most seem to go back to their own country and bless their own people, which is what we want. That's part of it, but now there's many who won't leave their area, so we've got to take the training to them. And so that's part of the vision of Frontline. We train our missionaries to go, and we've run seminars, Great Commission seminars, Biblical Worldview seminars, Discipleship Training seminars, Biblical preaching workshops, Muslim evangelism workshops, and so on. And we've gone around these areas, and so I've trained many pastors in Sudan with different seminars, short-term courses over the years. They get textbooks, they get intensive training. We leave them with lots of good resources. And I've set up libraries, audio libraries, video libraries, book libraries. And then you follow them up with um, emailings and uh, more things put on the web. And so our follow-up program comes to the William Carey Bible Institute, where we've got over 27 different subjects, including Muslim evangelism, discipleship, um, missions, history, missions history, world history, a whole lot of key subjects that will help the people, apologetics and so on and biblical preaching, Old Testament survey, New Testament survey, and so on. So we're trying to provide for the people in the rural areas training that they can use online. Now, one of the most important uh, projects I ever got involved in was preaching my, my way through every book in the Bible, summarizing each book of the Bible, first of all, for an article for Joy Magazine, translated Afrikaans for Yech, and then making them into chapters in these books, Old Testament Survey, New Testament Survey. And we've got a series of sermons on sermon audio, which has got a summary of every book in the Bible, working away from Genesis through to Revelation. And that was a six-year project, getting those books, articles, chapters already, and those recordings. So that's a resource to help pastors to survey the whole Bible. Done other surveys, such as preaching my way through the Ten Commandments, which we've got as a book, and we've got on sermon audio. We've got an audio MP3s, which are made available in different libraries around the continent too. So to get people back to the Bible, back to key things, Lord's Prayer, Ten Commandments, Apostles' Creed, where the Master, Evangelism, Explosion, key things that people can use, answering skeptics, uh, key doctrines, practical discipleship. These are different textbooks we've produced, biblical principles for Africa, and so on. And uh, so books, textbooks, um, audio series, audio visuals on webs and special websites like livingstonfellowship.co.za provides a lot of Bible studies and sermons that can be accessed to help pastors all over Africa. And then the William Carey Bible Institute takes people deeper. And we've gotten a lot of outstanding missionaries, teachers, apologists, evangelists to donate books, audios, videos, manuals, which we make available absolutely free online. So the William Carey Bible Institute or William Carey BI, um, dot com website has got a lot of free resources of high standard uh, to provide people with uh, resources that they need at home. So if people have access to the internet, they can have access to some of the finest theological, Muslim evangelism, church history, discipleship, and other good missionary resources. So that's some of what we've done, put things on the web, um, trying to get as much as possible audiovisual trying to make as much as possible uh, with good pictures available online that people can read, access, and share. Because with the postal service having collapsed so badly, we more depend on electronic media than before on the World Wide Web. And of course, radio and podcasts also help um, to find people with more. So there's this overlapping strategy between the Africa Christian Network and William Carey Bible Institute, the different groups on the ground that we know, and then the 
people who provide us for the most ammunition would be groups like World Missionary Press, providing vast amounts of scriptural material. And then through Literature of Africa, we're doing the distribution, and there's a whole network of distributors throughout the continent. Hmm. Yeah, but the problem is deeper, as there's a crisis in much of the education system, and particularly tertiary education. How can the church provide adequate leadership training for pastors, evangelists, and missionaries throughout Africa? Well, of course, the church must provide leadership training. That's the Great Commission. Our Lord Jesus told us to make disciples of every nation, teaching obedience to all things that he has commanded. So education is a vital part of the Great Commission. Our Lord is telling us to make disciples of nations, not just individuals. It starts there, not just families. That's basic building block of society, of course. Not just of congregations and communities. That's important, but of nations. Now, how do we do this? There was a time when the missions began in Africa that every church worked on a threefold system. It was, there were three aspects, body, mind, and spirit. The school uh, for ministering to the mind, the clinic for ministering to the body um, medically, and then the church for ministering to the soul or spirit. And so body, mind, and spirit work. The church was being used for school during the week and for worship on Sunday. And... Uh, then there was often a clinic attached to it, and that was normal missions. Missions was, every mission station includes a school. It might only be a primary school, but there was always education was a vital part of it. Some of the bigger churches and cathedrals would have secondary schools as well. And then some even went as far as tertiary schools. So we've got to get the church back into education because sadly, what's happened is a lot of education has been hijacked now by the secular humanists, by the Marxists, by uh, those who are trying to push the transgender and transhumanism cult and the LGBTQ agenda of the globalists. And so the church must get back involved in education. We must have our churches. We must have our, not just our Sunday schools. We need to have our day schools through the week. If you just think of the statistics, your child spends an average of, what, um, 20 hours a week in a public school. And now you compare that with uh, an hour in Sunday school. I mean, what's going to win? So it's so important that we... We don't just have Sunday school, we have day schools throughout the week. We have primary schools, we have secondary schools. Some churches who are big enough could consider a tertiary college. There's a teacher training college like what they've got at Quest Advanced Mission or a Bible college like the Solar Scriptures or Back to the Bible Mission. But you need to have this comprehensive worldview. The secular humanists are trying to uh, indoctrinate and brainwash our children. It's important that we resist being conformed to this world but have our minds renewed by the washing of the word. So getting churches back into bush schools, and I've taken in thousands of Christian textbooks into Sudan, for example, and helped start over 100 bush schools or primary schools attached to churches where we provide the textbooks and they provide the teachers and the church runs it. And also important in Zambia and the Congo. And so taking good textbooks and training teachers and giving them good resources. We've got a program called Textbooks for Teachers where we seek to provide Christian teachers all over Africa with good Christian textbooks. And I've written some, like The Great Century of Missions and The Great Century of Reformation, to with stories, well-illustrated stories, um, help people to understand history and understand important doctrines and how God works and the character qualities God uses and blesses. So we need good textbooks um, and we need churches on the ground to use their facilities also for education through the week, not just on Sunday. And I think that the opportunity is tremendous. It's been done before. The church evangelized and discipled Africa before, from 19th century, and they laid such a good foundation that now Africa is the fastest-growing region of the world. And in just 25 years, it's anticipated there'll be more Christians in Africa than the rest of the world combined. 
we will have more than half the Christians in the world. The balance of power in the church is moving south and it's moving to Africa. And so Africa and Latin America are becoming really um, the center of gravity for Christianity in the world. And Africa's got the chance to shape Christianity worldwide, resisting the liberalism of North North America and Europe and uh, bringing the church back to the Bible. But the challenge for us is to provide enough Bibles and Bible teaching to ensure that Africa will not just be Christian in name, but Christian in essence and in character and heart. And for that, you need lots of Bibles and lots of Bible teaching and more disciple makers uh, than just a church leader who's getting his ideas from TBN and God TV and the whole um, name it, claim it, and frame it prosperity cult. So we've got a tremendous challenge here. But the opportunity is huge. Um, You and your wife, Lenora, uh, have done a lot to pioneer and promote home education in Southern Africa. Is homeschooling a viable option and solution to the education crisis? I believe it is. And my wife and I were terrified of getting into homeschooling. We were afraid of failure. We were afraid that we wouldn't do enough, that our children might suffer. And uh, we shouldn't have worried at all. Our children did well. In fact, all of our children have gone on to get tertiary education and excel. And three of our children got national colors to represent the country overseas in sports. In the case of my daughter in ice skating and my one son karate and other son in biathlon, running and swimming in Egypt even. So um, we, our children have excelled in different areas. And many people say, you know, but if you do homeschooling, what about sports? What about socializing? What about tertiary education? And well, we've shown that none of those things are concerned because home educators have every access and opportunity to excel in all these areas. And we find they do. You don't have to go to a government school in order to get good sports. We find quite a few Christian schools are happy to have a homeschooler coming onto their team and strengthens their teams, which are often a bit short anyway. And so even while doing homeschooling, our children were getting involved in lots of sports. Not that all sports have to be team sports, but even those with swimming, hockey, um, soccer, and so on, our children managed to compete um, as part of teams, um, even while doing homeschooling. So that's not a problem. And of course, you've got other groups outside, whether it's uh, ice skating fraternity or the karate groups, uh, ballet and Irish dancing and um, many other areas that you can excel in. Boy Scouts, uh, Girl Guides, and so on. So I think homeschooling is a real viable option. There's so many good resources available now, great curriculum providers. That's why we started Christian Liberty Books back in 1995 to import good homeschooling books and to produce some homeschooling books. And we've produced a few of our own as well, and especially in history, and uh, be able to um, give people a variety of good resources they can use for homeschooling. And there's a great network. Just recently, we had the home education expo, our homeschool expo, and there were about 90 different uh, curriculum providers at the expo fair in Weinberg. And that just shows how homeschooling has grown. There was a time when there was just about six uh, displays at uh, a homeschool fair, and that's over 20 years ago now. Um, oh, they have homeschool um, trick dances. There's so many things organized by the homeschoolers. I think it is a way of the future because, first of all, the cost of education is getting so high, and... Uh, not just the financial cost, but the moral cost. I saw an article in America, somebody wrote, I paid $76,000 to send my child to hell. Speaking about the cost of the college education and how their uh, church-going child was turned into a thorough-going pagan and wrecked into drugs and everything after a few years in university. And 
for many people, university is a disaster experience, which is why we started our biblical worldview seminars and summits to prepare Christians for um, the hostile environment of universities and how to manage in the world of worldviews and how to understand what is being thrown to you and how to deal with it in a Christian way. Like these days, transhumanism, transgenderism, and all these other LGBTQ things that globalists are throwing at us. So having our people well prepared to be pre-warned is to be prepared. And uh, we've um, done a whole lot to help strengthen homeschoolers. And we praise God for the many curriculum providers that have grown up out there. The pioneer in South Africa's theocentric Christian education, started by the Shortridges, and what a phenomenal work TCE has done. There's others like Accelerate Christian Education. It started out just being Christian school curriculum, but now they offer for homeschoolers too. And there's many others that have developed since. We see even the universities that criticized us for homeschooling are now at these homeschool fairs. And universities like UCT and so on, Oxford, Cambridge, they've now got their own homeschooling divisions because they recognize homeschooling is so viable. Even Oxford and Cambridge are getting into promoting homeschooling now because they can see it's superior to what you're getting from the average government school. Um, you've mentioned various resources, but and just through this uh, broadcast, but can you just uh, go over and add to your list of resources and institutions that you can recommend for those seeking higher education or tertiary education, particularly theological? Yes. So we would recommend uh, Macanio Theological Seminary, the base in Pretoria, Macanio Theological Seminary, that's very highly thought of. I think they like the market leaders in this country as far as theological seminary qualifications go. High standard and biblical inerrancy is at the heart. They're rock solid, good people. Um, Reverend Brian de Vries, outstanding work done by them. So Makanya Theological Seminary. And then there's Back to the Bible Mission based on Pumalanga. Professor Shai Mulder, absolutely superb. Cedar College of Education based at Cross the Bunch Mission uh, is excellent for teacher training. People have come from as far field as Switzerland, France, Germany, Korea, Romania, Russia. It's, it's a well thought of internationally group and uh, so Makanya Theological Seminary, um, Cedar College of Education. There's also Africa for Jesus, a very practical uh, missions oriented Bible college based in Kimberley. Um, that's uh, Andre de Vries and uh, then there's other um, online curriculum providers and we can recommend our William Carey Theolog uh, sorry, William Carey Bible Institute. That's WilliamCareyBI.com website, and you'll find a lot of free resources on there. As far as our Bible studies and sermon materials, you can get audio and some video and articles on our LivingstonFellowship.co.today. So LivingstonFellowship.co.today, it just has Bible studies and sermons, tracts, lots of tracts available free that you can download and print in several languages as well. There's, there's digital evangelism resources on the Frontline Mission SA.org website, but especially evangelistic and discipleship tracks on livingstonfellowship.co.za. And if you contact Christian Liberty Books, you can get lots of textbooks, christianlibertybooks.co.za. Um, that's the curriculum provider, not just for homeschools, but also for many Bible colleges. So you can get a lot from christianlibertybooks.co.za. And if you need the contact details for Macanio, Back to the Bible, or... Cedar College, Africa for Jesus. You can ask Christian Liberty Books as well. Thank you, Dr. Hammond, for your insights and vision for Africa. In closing, let's consider Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. 
Thank you very much for joining us for From the Frontline. God bless and good night.